You're listening to The Solution, a podcast by Growers Mineral. I'm your host, Russell Bobel. In this ongoing series, we will be taking a look at the book More Food from Soil Science, a book written in 1965 by one of Growers' co-founders, Dr. V.A. Tejans. Chapter 5. Crop Yields, Plant Food Materials, and Our Natural Resources Profitable crop plants are grown on many different soils, containing wide variations in nutrient content and in areas of widely different climatic conditions. Climatic conditions probably have a greater effect on maximum yields than the potential nutrients that soils contain. All soils contain large amounts of minerals, which, as a result of the proper weathering, are capable of producing satisfactory yields. The problem the research man has to find out first what the key variable is that controls the productivity of the soil and, secondly, what must be done to release the plant food material so that the plant can absorb nutrients and use them efficiently for optimal growth. Also, since there is much available plant food lost through erosion, means must be found to steer this plant food into the plant instead of permitting it to move to the rivers and the oceans. Many of the bottom lands or food plains of streams are the result of erosion. The word productive is prominently used in discussions of land use and soil classification. Whether or not soils are capable of producing large yields depends largely on available nutrients rather than on total potential nutrients. Even though soils are well supplied with available nutrients, there is no guarantee that the soil will be productive. We have a group of soils which are classed as submarginal, those which for one of many reasons do not produce profitable crops. My experiences with many of these soils have given me a different approach to their use. In most cases, these soils are lacking in calcium. If they are too rough to farm, they can have limestone applied, a ton or two per acre at frequent intervals, and be made to produce excellent pasture. Some can be terraced and strip-farmed and properly limed, and others, which are flat and which produce only poverty grass, can be heavily limed to make them highly productive. Calcium deficiency is usually the controlling factor. There are few farmable sub-marginal lands, which cannot be made highly productive with the application of sufficient limestone. There are also potentially highly productive soils which do not make any money because the farmer tries to correct something that is not at fault. He throws on more fertilizer when actually he has too much on. Such soils have responded to limestone applications. Clay knobs and gravelly ridges give farmers headaches because they usually have a high pH and still won't respond to fertilizer applications. On occasion, they have been referred to as alkali spots when actually... They are deficient in calcium. I worked with a farmer near Radnor, Ohio, who had three barren gravel ridges traversing one of his 35-acre fields. These had grown practically no crops for many years, particularly during hot, dry summers. Six tons of limestone was applied over a period of two years. Two years in succession, this field averaged over 135 bushels of number two corn, with the tops of the ridges producing just as good a yield as the slopes and bottom lands. The fodder was not as tall nor as heavy on the tops of the ridges. Even though this is limestone soil, calcium availability was too low. A farmer in southern New Jersey asked me to work with him on a farm where each field had at least one pond hole. 
The water in some of these ponds disappeared during the summer. Several did not dry up, even in dry weather. We checked the soil for calcium and applied two tons of pulverized limestone where the ground was dry. Then, we subsoiled the fields 21 inches deep in the vicinity of the ponds by circling them at least three-foot intervals while applying some pulverized limestone in the subsoil trench. The ponds gradually dried, apparently because we prevented water from seeping into the depressions. When the depressions dried, we subsoiled them and applied two to four tons of pulverized limestone and proceeded to crop the area. Potatoes, corn, and tomatoes gave good yields in all these areas and water did not accumulate in later years. A farmer in southeast Ohio bought land which was classified as unsuitable for crop production and proceeded to farm it. He was told it was submarginal. Somebody had told him to apply limestone, which he did. He told them that he had applied six tons of limestone per acre and had grown over 100 bushels of corn per acre for six years, and he had not applied any fertilizer to this soil. He said he was getting better yields than some friends who were applying over 600 pounds of mixed fertilizer on what was considered very fertile soil. This proves my contention that we don't use our heads, even though crop production depends on how we interpret our observations. We don't consider the factor that actually controls yield. We have given credit to the wrong practices. Every year I am surprised when I talk with farmers on the black prairie soils of Illinois. They tell me that they are lucky to get 100 bushels of corn per acre on land that has enough fertility to grow over 300 bushels. There must be many who don't get 75 bushels if the average yield in Illinois means anything. I tell them they should see some of the soils on which our Ohio farmers are growing 135 bushels an acre. They naturally are very skeptical when I tell them it is a gravelly loam soil. Even in Ohio, what we consider our best soils do not produce our highest yields. I have had many cases where farmers living on deep, fertile limestone land have attempted to grow 150 bushels of corn by following surefire methods. The surefire procedure is to apply 400 to 100 pounds of mixed fertilizer before plowing a crover sod previously covered with manure. Then they plant the corn with a starter of 300 to 600 pounds of fertilizer and side dress with 100 to 150 pounds of nitrogen. With a fair distribution of rainfall, the corn grows rapidly. The stalks are tall and heavy and the field produces a big tonnage of fodder for silage. There may be approximately 13,000 stalks per acre if germination is good. There are no ear stalks because the foliage is dark green and succulent. The grower follows this practice to grow 150 bushels of number two corn in contradiction of my recommendation. I apply two tons of pulverized limestone per acre and only two gallons, 22 pounds of 10-20-10 fertilizer solution on the row of, on the seed for a starter. The foliage is sprayed with two gallons of 10-20-10 fertilizer solution in the middle of July. I had 14,780 stalks per acre. Apparently, there was less interference with germination. When these plots were harvested, the plot with fertilizer solution yielded 135 bushels on 7- to 8-foot stalks whereas the farmer's plot yielded 59 bushels. 
The average farmer viewing this field on August 1st would have guessed that the heavily fertilized plot would have outyielded my plot by at least three to one because the foliage was dark green and voluminous. What was wrong and what is wrong with our thinking? Why do we make such fertilizer recommendations? What kind of data are these recommendations based on? The practice outlined is considered necessary for a big yield, but a big yield of leaves and stalks does not make good silage. We examined the field carefully. On the dry fertilizer plot, the corn was 12 to 15 feet tall, compared with 7 to 8 on the solution plot. 39 out of 100 stalks were barren, and only 9 out of 100 stalks had ears over 8 inches long. The remainder of the stalks had nubbins. On the fertilizer solution plot, 97 out of 100 stalks had ears 8 or more inches long. Minerals found in seeds. Minerals found in plants do not indicate fertilizer needs. We have many farm advisors and people in the fertilizer industry who say you must apply 2 pounds of nitrogen, 1.5 pounds of phosphorus, and 2 pounds of potash to produce a bushel of corn, and that it is a simple matter to fit your fertilizer needs. If you grow 50 bushels and you want 150 bushels, all you need to do is apply 200 pounds of each of the fertilizer ingredients. They ignore the nutrients supplied by the soil. This may be enough to grow the crop. Why apply more? I know that if you analyze the leaves, stems, and grain or fruit on a crop, you will come up with a figure showing certain amounts of minerals. This does not mean that you need to apply that much. Very seldom are check plots left for comparison, and if they are, they are forgotten at harvest time. You will find that 95% of the plant comes from water, carbon dioxide, and sunlight. The minerals in the tissue which we supply as fertilizer are very few indeed. The nitrogen helps to keep the plant green and builds up proteins with the help of starches and sugars. But the starches made in the leaves and stored in the seed make up the bulk of our yield of grain. Phosphorus is very important in these processes. Potash acts as policeman to make these chemical processes take place. It is not known how much is actually needed. This probably depends on many factors. Any good soil properly handled will supply an abundance of these plant food materials. Much data has been collected showing the minerals present in crops growing in various parts of the country. They are varying tremendously. 100 bushels of corn grown in one area may contain 12 pounds of phosphorus, while in another it may contain 60 pounds. The important consideration is that in both cases, 100 bushels of corn were produced. At the present, we must assume that much of the data was used for sales purposes and probably had little basis in fact. It is true that you can show some increases in yield with some additional phosphorus or potash or nitrogen, but when it means an additional 10 bushel yield with no additional profit to the grower, it does not lend itself to any extreme enthusiasm, particularly when the yield is only 75 bushels per acre and a comparable yield in any other crop. There is an abundance of raw materials available for processing and making mixed fertilizer, and we have a tremendous capacity to manufacture mixed fertilizers from them. Since they can make it, any concern doing this type of manufacturing must sell it, because it is interested in making profit. 
a high-powered sales manager who probably doesn't know anything about a farm or conditions on a farm, proceeds to load the farmer with plant food materials, many of which he may not need. If he needs it, he may add it to his profits. If he doesn't need it, he is burdened with the additional tax because of the cost of the fertilizer. So we take the path of least resistance and, using the formula, proceed to sell the farmer fertilizer, whether he needs it or not, in quantities that should give him 50 or more bushels above his present yield of 60 bushels. If the yield increase is sufficient to make a profit over the additional cost, everyone is happy, but the farmer still has a big fertilizer bill. The fact that he may need only a few pounds of phosphorus doesn't enter the picture. Generally, it is a good bet that he has bought something that he doesn't need. But as long as he doesn't run comparative plots with and without fertilizer, he won't know unless he counts the money left in his pocket after he pays his bills. If he doesn't get an increase in yield, he is told he will get it in the crop the next year. This is apt to be wishful thinking. I have taken records on farms for 10 years after a 1,000 pounds of fertilizer was plowed under, and after 10 years, the grower was still trying to find some return in yield for his fertilizer. Given the presence of sufficient calcium in the soil and an adequate supply of plant food materials, climate and agricultural practices will produce a certain given yield. And if that crop is analyzed, the mineral content will reflect the amount in the soil. If there is an abundance, the tissue will show a higher level. We can be sure that if we produce a 100 bushel yield, there will be present in the soil and in the plant tissue nutrients sufficient to do the job. We have no information to say what percentage of mineral elements is necessary to produce 100 bushels of corn. This depends on too many factors, the important one being the amount of oxygen bathing the roots of the crop. Foul gases around the roots do not produce good yields. Adequate calcium in the soil will detoxicate the gases formed by fermentation. The sensible procedure is to set up a series of plots to find out whether there is a shortage of any mineral. The sales pitch is that there never is enough in the soil. Farmers must be sold what they can afford to buy. The distribution of rainfall has a lot to do with the growth of the crops. We expect a normal distribution, and the resulting crop will be good if temperatures are normal. In 1957, the corn crop in Ohio had too much water at planting time. Corn did not germinate well because the soil, in many cases, ran together and became puddled on the surface. Oxygen was excluded from the seed. This excluded oxygen from the roots. The plants turned yellow, and many people attributed the yellow color to a lack of nitrogen. Since nitrogen is assimilated in the fine-feeding roots, nitrogen could not be used by the plants because the roots were suffocated. After the soil dried and oxygen was available, the plants made new roots, after which the leaves again turned green, but the corn had been stunted and never recovered sufficiently to produce even a fair yield. Fertilizer had little effect. In 1958, the heavy rains came a month later and similar conditions developed. Corn and other crops that had a good start were not hurt as much. Crops on soils well supplied with calcium fared much better than those where lime was needed. The corn again turned yellow, and again nitrogen deficiency was blamed. Those that applied nitrogen probably did more damage than good because 
there were no feeding roots to utilize the nitrogen. Foliage sprays with fertilizer solutions were very effective in starting activity in the plants and caused the foliage to turn green. If applied at once, this prevented severe stunting of the plants. It was thought by many that the fertilizer had leached away. The surplus water did help the dry fertilizer because more of it became available to the plants in a short time. This hurt germination of seed and produced some poor stands of corn, which reduced yields. In such cases where no fertilizer had been applied, there was a better yield than where appreciable quantities had been applied. Some growers pulled a 16-inch deep subsoiler between the rows and added 30 to 50 bushels of corn to their 50-bushel yield. From my experience with comparative plots with and without additional fertilizer, after seven years, the plots without fertilizer produced better yields. We have been conducting these farm experiments for 12 years, and this is the main reason why I have more faith in my method of fertilization than in that recommended by our farm agencies. If it were true that we could use a NPK formula to increase our yields, Average yields would be more than double the present averages and, if we were building up fertilizer reserves carryover of more fertile soils, well, our yields should be much, much higher. This suggests to me that we may not be aware of the real situation and that what we refer to as worn-out soils are not created by insufficient fertilizer. Our weakness is that we believe this propaganda that this formula is the true yardstick. Illinois highly fertile prairie soils can't grow 100 bushels, even though it has sufficient plant food material made available every year to grow several crops of corn, while poor soils in Ohio with adequate calcium can grow 200 bushels. Nor can growers in Ohio demonstrate on low fertility fields that this formula holds true, because insufficient available calcium is the limiting factor. When I talked to a group of farmers in one of our hill counties, I was informed that an authority had told them to double the amount of fertilizer if they want to double their yield. One grower said that he had tried that and that it had reduced his yield. My answer was, perhaps you don't need fertilizer. The next year, I convinced this grower to put on four tons of limestone per acre. His yield increased by 50 bushels without adding any fertilizer. Plants need certain things to produce a crop. We know that if the plants can't get them from the soil, they must be applied. We also know that there is a lot of plant food material made available every year through the soil's chemical processes, which are supported by the application of limestone. How much is made available depends on weather conditions, potential minerals, organic matter, type of soil, and numerous other factors. We try to test the soil, but so far our tests are about as good as a broad guess. I use these tests for calcium and phosphorus and, even though I can double the yield of corn by following the readings, they are still far from accurate. I feel that if I did not have 30 years of experience to go along with these tests, they probably would be of little help. Farmers have asked me why they can't get as good yields as their neighbors when they follow the same practices. The answer, necessarily, is that they don't have the same conditions, and actually they don't follow the same practices, even though they think they do. One of my customers planted corn on May 9th, and because of too much water, had to replant half of the field on May 28th. 
Except for working the ground, which probably speeded up oxidation, the program was the same. The May 9th planting yielded 63 bushels, whereas the May 28th planting yielded 196 bushels with no additional fertilizer. If we are dealing with an annual plant, we must attribute more importance to small details than if we had planted tomatoes, which would grow indefinitely if frost did not kill the vines. The corn planted May 9th was checked temporarily because the heavy rain packed the soil, even though the germination was not hurt. Loosening the soil on the May 28th planting and temperature set the stage for rapid growth after the seed germinated. The soil was not packed again by heavy rain. This occurred in 1956. I am sure that the same results would not have been obtained in 1957 because the weather sequence was so different. Time of planting experiments from one year, therefore, mean very little to the grower because results will be different every year. When we talk about fertility needs, which interest salesmen the most, we're probably talking about a detail in production which is relatively unimportant. I know that many will disagree with me on this, and, from the standpoint of one who has something to sell, I wish this were not true. But I have to admit it, whether I want it to or not. If I were talking about the calcium requirement of the soil and the importance of a proper calcium saturation on the base exchange complex, I could not make this statement. It seems to me to be the key to our whole fertility problem. I probably place more importance on it than on any other detail. But even this was not true in the case of the corn planted on May 9th and May 28th. Here, climatic and soil compaction certainly played the major roles. I watched the corn grow at frequent intervals. And at no time during the season was there any slowing down of the development of the stalk and the ear on the field planted on May 28th. Thanks for listening, everyone, to this episode of The Solution. If you'd like to learn more about the Growers Program or anything you heard in this podcast, visit our website at growersmineral.com. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss another episode. Thanks. We'll see you guys in the next episode.